alívio, alívio, baby, alívio. Now leave me alone. <laughs> And welcome to the Nightfly Podcast with me, Dave Juskow. How are you? August edition, birthday edition. Dave Juskow's birthday edition. Not America. That's on the 4th of July. And how we love our country so much. And how we're so excited the way it all came together. And going back in time and fixing stuff that can't be fixed. Boy, it's really a wonderful tradition we're putting together for this country and our future. Oh, things look bleak in that sense, but they look up in many other ways, you know, like it being a sunny day. Taping on Saturday, August 15th, coming out on Tuesday, I guess, what, August 18th? <laughs> well, you know I can't add, I think it is the August 18th, 2020 edition. Again, every time I say 2020, boy, I feel like, uh, oh, please don't tell me it's 2020. Please, you know, if you go back in history and listen to the podcast, you're going to be like, oh, 2020. 
Well, 2021's looking good, right? <laughs> it's not. Oh, man. Anyway, hello. And thank you for joining us today. How about last week's show? How interesting, right? Let's uh, get the show started. Last week, uh, making our first endeavor into video. Uh, these are called video. I'm doing my uh, Rick Moranis. Uh, our first endeavor into you know, YouTube and videos, which is, you know, funny because you're like, wait, hey, dude, you're so behind the times. But I was a stickler and I was holding out, like I said, for I had no, I, I really was one of those people that was like, oh, please, it's not going to go until the summer. So we had to move on and we did our first test show with um, the wonderful Mike Sauter from WYAP 91.3. I think I got it right this time. I probably didn't, though. It's probably something else. But I know it's WYP. Anyway, he was a wonderful guest, and I, I don't know whether you watched it. You know, it was on YouTube. I did put it out. I know I said maybe I would, but it all worked out. So I put together two podcasts technically last week, and we had our regular, and I think it sounded okay. I was listening to it back, and it sounded okay. The sound quality was okay for the regular podcast, and the video quality was okay for the video portion of the podcast. The only thing about YouTube is using songs like this uh, – that they'll probably take off the air at some point, but um, I don't know whether they mute the entire sound or whether they just mute that, but whatever the case may be, we have it in the archives. And I really enjoyed the show. Mike is very knowledgeable, and now we can move on and, you know, and get some uh, other folks. Like, uh, for instance, I might get, I don't know if uh, this is interesting or not, but maybe we'll have Judy Gold next week, who just wrote a book uh, about cancel culture. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I haven't read it yet, so I'm going to read the book and then ask her if she'd like to come on the show. But, oh, my God, we need to talk about that because everything is going fakakta, as you know, I love using that word, but it is. And just today, you know, I'm reading my paper, comes on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, and I'm like, well, I got to bring this up. And that's why I played the producers up front. HBO Max is just whoever is running HBO Max is a big my stupid Amazon thing went on is a big piece of crap. I like HBO Max. Don't get me wrong. I'm very much enjoying HBO Max. I'm enjoying watching all the Bugs Bunny cartoons ever made. You know, they got all the big bangers on that. That's a whole other story. I liked the um, Anna Kendrick show. So I'm enjoying HBO Max. But screw you. HBO Max and whoever's in charge over there and the big fucking sissies that you are that you got to pull gone with the wind, you fucking sissy pants people. And now there's an article in the paper today that they're putting a warning before you watch Blazing Saddles. And this is this guy, Kyle Smith from the Post wrote this. I'm going to I'm going to read you most of the this amazing article that he wrote, which just speaks to us. Anybody, of course, our our age, uh, on how this, he says, Blazing warn a PC joke. Say, kids, did you know Blazing Saddles is an overt and audacious spoof on classic westerns? Well, now you do, thanks to the trigger warning that has just been slapped on the movie by HBO Max, which hired University of Chicago professor Jacqueline Stewart, who I don't really care for. I think she's on AMC, to set things up for anyone who might be clicking on the Mel Brooks comedy thinking they're in for Swedish drama about the Lincolnberry Harvest. Stewart informs us that the movie features racist language and attitudes. 
But those attitudes are espoused by characters who are explicitly portrayed here as narrow-minded, ignorant bigots. The the film's real and much more enlightened perspective is represented by the two main characters. You don't say. Stuart Cinder should be called blazing obviousness. I'm sorry, it's hard to read sometimes when they hyphenate the words (laughs) that you're using, you know. Since everyone already knew of all that and always has for the 46 years the movie's been in release. Next week, HBO Max will gravely inf- will be gravely informing us that the springtime for Hitler musical and Brooks the Producers should not be construed as a celebration of the Third Reich and that the song and dance number about the Spanish Inquisition in Brooks' History of the World Part 1 is not meant to glorify the practice of disemboweling non-Christians. I mean, this is what's making every all of us very upset. We get it. And the thing is, what he's saying is, you know, what what are you tuning? What are you expecting? You know, when you're tuning on Blazing Saddles? I mean, what are you going to sit there with your mouth open and say, what? You know, also, in fact, here we get to it. Um, uh, Here, he just goes on. Ridiculous, unnecessary trigger warnings are getting plastered all over everything. Realtors are afraid to use the term master bedroom. But HBO Max seems to think we all live in kindergarten. What kind of melonhead doesn't realize the purpose of the slurs and blazing saddles is to make the racist look bad? God, I talk about this all the time. We don't need this explained to us unless we just arrived on this planet from a faraway star system or attended Oberlin. When director Brooks brought in a hot young black comic named Richard Pryor to help punch up the script... Pryor vigorously added in more uses of the N-word to make the movie sharper as well as funnier. Pryor may be more responsible than any other person for neutralizing the slur's power to wound. Which is something Lenny Bruce was saying even 10, 15 years before that. We'd probably all be better off if the word were restored to its place in the 70s when it was largely robbed of its mystical properties. Now that it's unsayable, it becomes scary again. There's a reason no comic ever starts his set by saying, the following remarks are jokes, and I will sometimes say things... I I can't pronounce the word. (laughs) I, I know the word, but I can't pronounce it. I don't want to talk about it. Listen, I mentioned I'm an idiot before. Nobody wants to have the comedy parameters laid out in advance, especially by a humor-challenged professor. Oh, good, because he feels that way about her that I do. I can't stand her. She, I believe it's the same woman that does all the intros for Turner Classic Movies, and I'm really bored by her. HBO Max, which earlier this summer appended a similar trigger warning to Gone with the Wind, is not telling its subscribers anything they don't already know, but it is giving them some useful thumb exercise as they all cringe and activate the skip function. I love this article. I think it's very what we need to say, and I'm so glad he put it in print in the paper. HBO Max can suck it. We all know why they're doing it, but grow the fuck up. Just Why don't you just go off the air? Clearly, don't show anything before 20, 2019, and probably even that. Why don't we just only show movies from now on from 2020, or things that came out in 2020, which, of course, were made before all this happened anyway. So that's what we'll just do. And we'll just take because, you know, really at this point, they're going to say the the Wizard of Oz is a problem because that witch is in green. And that's just rude. When you put people in green paint, they should have actually gotten a real witch to play that part. And that is not cool. 
and uh, perf- you know, and quite frankly, portraying a witch as mean spirited and evil as they did in the Wizard of Oz is not acceptable. Because there are a lot of good witches, and I know this because I watched the show called Good Witch, and the Hallmark Channel should be up in arms about something as crude and vile as what they have done in the Wizard of Oz to make look witches look evil, ugly, and creepy, and not using a real witch and using an actress to play a real witch is completely unacceptable. I hope they pull that shit off the air. The Wizard of Oz should be completely erased from our memories and taken off the air. Now, obviously, I'm making a joke, but don't you realize that that could totally happen really soon? That's where it's heading to. I can't stand this. We can apologize for our past, but that's all we can do. Can we make up things to work out in the future? Yes, we can. But what the fuck are you going to do? We, unfortunately, and it wasn't me or you guys, but a couple of jerk-offs bought a bunch of black people from Africa and made them work for us and treated them like shit. And there's not a damn thing any of us can do about it now. Except just say we're sorry. That's all we can do. And, you know, say, you know, we won't let it happen again. And I'm sorry, but that's the way this whole country has been brought up. How we got this land. We killed all the Indians that lived on it. And we took it over. Every single country on the planet that became a nation has a very bad, sordid past. So slavery for us, the... uh was you just saying the, the Spanish Inquisition for them or something? I mean, everybody's got the sordid past. And there's not a damn thing anybody can do about it. And you just hope for the best in the future, since there's really no more land to conquer, that hopefully we wouldn't do it on other planets. But we will, because that's what we do. We're assholes. Look at the way we've all treated our planet. Some of the ways we've treated each other. This is what human beings do, and that's the way it is. And if you want to be black and go into Seattle and make a march and tell all the white people to move out of their homes, you're just as bad as everybody else. That's no way to handle anything. Or defunding the police, as we talk about, which is just such a goddamn disaster. Do you know that there was also a, a thing that happened last week where a car was parked in front of a fire hydrant for four days. And the uh, fire department had a major fire. So they didn't move the car. They just were desperate to get to the fire hydrant. So they threw the hose through the windows. They broke the car windows, put it through the front seat of this nice BMW and hooked it up to the, the fire hydrant. And the guy whose car it is, is furious I don't even know what to say. What the hell is happening? He's furious. He parked in front of a fire hydrant for four days. How did he think that was going to end? What is happening? I, I, I just, I just don't understand where people's minds are. Or we're just, they're just printing the stories of fools, and we're just not hearing the good parts. Is that maybe, maybe that's all it is? Maybe it's my fault. 
well, you know, again, this is why I watch that stupid Goodwin show. Because when I turn that on, I say, well, now I can relax. And the worst part is, what was the episode I was watching last week? Uh, I was getting uptight. Oh, <laughs> they were throwing a, a surprise party for the guy lead character. His name is Sam. And he kept, and they kept, you know, blowing it. And I was getting uptight about it. I mean, that's how stressed out I think everybody is. I was getting uptight. He might find out about the surprise party. Because this show for me is supposed to be away, you know, in a small town. We talked about it two weeks ago. In a small town that has never heard of the COVID virus or crime <laughs> or or anything. And the music reflects that. And the characters reflect that. And... There is this woman who, yes, she, you know, she, they don't say she's a witch, but she guides people in the right direction with kindness. And I watch this show and I, you know, how upset I'm getting that I'm running out of shows because there's something about this stupid, stupid show, which technically shouldn't even exist in our society because it's like a 1930s movie that makes me relax and to get riled up because this guy might find out about a surprise party well then obviously the problem is me but when i look to just sit there and watch some mindless mindless show you know i'm better off watching something on you know cinemax that i've already seen a hundred times like back to school where i know i could turn off a scene that bothers me you know like where his son gets angry and at the party i don't know why that i'm just like oh shut up your dad's doing everything for you, spoiled brat. You know, like that kind of shit, right? And I could turn it off before I get to that scene. <sighs> I guess, you know, I'm, we're all stressed. And that's why that good witch is usually pretty good. But, uh, I mean, uh, God, I'm crazy. I'm just as much to blame as anybody else. But uh, that all being said, the funny thing is I had a, a wonderful birthday. And... uh Really, I mean, not such a great week. I've really gotten into some bad habits uh, the last two. After um, you know, I finished this project I was completing, I just fell into some old bad habits in the sense of just kind of hanging out, not going out, not going for walks, not exercising, and just doing nothing. I haven't left the house. You know, the good news is I knew I was leaving my house for my birthday, which was Thursday, August 13th. So, uh, you know, I was like, I'll be fine because I'm leaving on Thursday. You know, now if I don't have any plans, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not cooking anymore. I'm watering in more. So those are all the bad habits, I think, that I was getting into, you know, going out and doing stuff and being productive is good. But I don't know, you know. But anyway, Thursday was terrific. You know, I just had some people down to the Comedy Cellar. Remember, Comedy Cellar is not open, but the Olive Tree, which is the restaurant up from it, is. And so I told you, me and Atel and Russman, even Nick had been going down like once a week just to kind of support the club and the restaurant, even though they let us pretty much eat for free. But we tip and, you know, whatever. We do the best we can. And so I said, I'll just have my birthday down there. And, you know, they have the outside table. So now you sit in the street. It's pretty crowded down there even so. But I thought this would be, you know, this is a good plan for the situation we're in. And to do something is a good idea. So I invited about... 20 people. Actually, I have the guest list here that I invited. I invited Keith Robinson, and he came. Attell, Nick, Russ, Phil Hanley, uh, Liz, the manager, Matteo, Joe Mackey, Sam Morell, Rachel Feinstein, her husband, Marina Franklin, Todd Barry, Dan Natterman, Colin Quinn, Sarah Silverman. Of course, she was invited, but she lives in California. I invited the owner, Noam, 
outside Steve, Steve Fabricant, Jim Norton, my friend Bob Golden, Gilbert Gottfried, and Lenny Marcus. And uh, most of them showed up, you know, unless they were out of town. And uh, it was terrific. And so then we're sitting there, and I also invited like two civilians, uh, <laughs> my friend Lindsay, who's such a delight. And I know her from, uh, you know, the bar I hang out in, and uh, she's such a wonderful person. And may I say, a big fan of Turbocharge. And you know what? That means for all of us, we like her a lot. She gets it for some reason. I don't know what the hell the matters with her, but I love her. And she's a very special person. And when I say special, I mean retarded. No, thank you. Uh, no, she's so wonderful. So I invited her because she lives in the neighborhood. I said, you know, I'll, I'll invite the, her and her boyfriend. And he's a great guy, too. And I'll invite them as the only people I know, you know, that aren't comics. Because they're just nice people and they get along with everybody. So it's not an issue. And then I invited one of these 24-year-old girls I know uh, because I, she wished me happy birthday. I told her what I was doing, and, and she just happened to be in town. And I know she's alone, so I said, oh, why don't you come by? And she was great, too, but um, you know, I, I think the other comics get afraid when there's other people there. I don't, you know, people get spooked by normal people. But um, it was fun, but it was great, and everybody was having a great time. I mean, everyone had a great time because no one's had a great time in five months. So everybody was really happy that I put something together at all so we could all be together live and not on a Zoom call. So everybody had a great time, like which is you know, the best feedback you can get from putting a party together. And I had a great time. Mattel bought a bunch of pizzas for everybody. I never got any food. You know how it's so funny. I just don't eat. Uh, on these birthday or these party scenarios, and then, you know, I eat when I get home, but I, I didn't even do that. But, yeah, it's so weird the way I my eating habits are so strange. And so, anyway, Louis C.K. walked by, and he said, I didn't even recognize him because he was wearing a mask and, a mask and a hat. And he came by, and then he found out it was my birthday, and he left, and he came back, and he bought me a couple of gifts, which was so nice. And then he sat down, and we talked for like a half hour. It was great talking to him. And we talked, I had told him I had seen the new Woody Allen movie, which is called A Rainy Day in New York, which actually there's another one coming up, but this is the one that he made for Amazon. And then they said, oh, you have problems. We're taking you off the air. Just the kind of shit we're talking about again. Accusations that aren't warranted. You know, you have to make up your mind, but it's a, he said, she said, and they haven't been proven. So I let this genius go. And uh, this movie, Rainy Day in New York, if you can find it anywhere, it's very difficult to find, obviously. But if you can find it, it's not too bad. It's not the greatest movie's ever made. But it was pretty entertaining. Timothy Chalamet, Selena Gomez, um, Elle Fanning. Uh, I don't know what her story. I don't know why she's in television at all. But uh, anyway, he was talking about, because, you know, Louis is, was in Blue Jasmine. He's worked with them, and he told me he actually um, auditioned for the Andrew Dice Clay role in Blue Jasmine because Andrew Dice Clay was terrific in Blue Jasmine. Quite frankly, if he wasn't Andrew Dice Clay, probably would have been nominated. Had one of the best end speeches I've ever heard in a Woody Allen movie. It was really great. Uh, but he got to work with them, and, and apparently they're pen pals <laughs> in some form or way. They, maybe they talk once a year. And I guess... Um, Louie was talking about how he's watching Hannah and her sisters on Turner Classic Movies. And then after that, The Seventh Seal came on. This is an Ingrid Mar Bergman film. And he emailed 
Woody, and he goes, you know, Hannon is still so great. And Woody was like, yeah, but they showed the seventh seal after, and now I feel like I should never have gotten into filmmaking at all. Which was so funny and so insightful because, number one, it's funny that somebody like Woody Allen is so still, you know, loves Bergman so much. He's still so intimidated by him. He's like, man, I really shouldn't have gotten into film. I mean, how funny, how, uh, what, what is that called? Uh, you know, insecure do you have to be at this point when you're 86 or whatever he is, 80, uh, and you're Woody Allen and you've made... Annie Hall and Crimes and Misdemeanors and Vicky Christina Barcelona and all these the Broadway Danny Rose fucking A and you're still like well I'm not I'm not great you know <laughs> I mean it's uh, you know if he was modest and you kind of like that quality about it it would be different but I mean we're glad he's not cocky but I mean you know there comes a point where you you could be a little cocky you know, I mean, in, at eighty, you can you can you can be a little cocky. You know, because you're still doing it. It's not like you you made a couple of films like a Francis Ford Coppola. Well, I made The Godfather. Can you be cocky? You're goddamn right. But what do you do after that? I mean, it's a couple, but it's not like the string of every year since the '60s making a movie. Some of them work, some of them don't. He don't care. He just keeps on going. But what? came out of the conversation was the best part of all he does watch his own movies he's made it clear that he doesn't but i guess he watches turner classic movies probably just has the tv on like my mother does who's about the same age and i guess when one of his movies comes on he doesn't turn it off that's the most interesting part of the conversation of all how fascinating he watched Tanner and her sisters and then, he, and then, of course, he had his Heroes movie on afterwards, and then he got depressed. <laughs> you know, that's the equivalent of uh, watching Turbocharge, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, Goodfellas comes on after. I'm like, uh, you know, Turbocharge really isn't as good as Goodfellas. If I can be honest with you, it's I'm not a really good filmmaker. <laughs> yeah, that's the equivalent. Uh, <laughs> wouldn't that be funny if I felt that way? Well, you wouldn't listen to me then, because that would be like, this guy... He just doesn't get it. Well, you'd probably listen to me for a different reason. I should just be that guy. I'm like, and listen, when we made, you know, Turbocharge, and of course it's great, because not just because of the way it's filmed, which is obviously a genius new technique of filmmaking, but it's the most hilarious movie ever made. The concept is brilliant, and my acting is obviously flawless. Now, you couldn't listen to a podcast like that. That would Well, you could, because... Sometimes that's interesting in itself. Let's see how far this guy thinks how great he is, which I don't think I've ever put out there. And uh, let's face it. I'm not being hard on myself. I'll let you know when something's good and turbocharge ain't great. Again, when you're making a movie on a on a, the same budget I got my hair plugs in, you know, there has to be concessions. <laughs> Whatever. I love talking about turbocharge. I uh, there's a friend of mine down the shore. Her name is Liz, and she just found out about turbocharge. She's like, "How do I not know about this? I want to have a screening in my backyard, and you have to be there. You know, you and Memo." And I'm like, "No, we can't. We're just too. We can't be there." <laughs> but again, 
As long as you're super high, the film should be okay. <sighs> I don't know. Anyway, the point is, it was great talking to Louis. He had just been in Ohio with Sarah Silverman and David Dave Chappelle. Uh, they brought Dave Chappelle to her little camp he puts together there for comedy. And Sarah was telling me last night how it works. You get a test before you get on the plane, the private plane. Then you get a test. No, 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 no. You have to get a test in advance to make sure you mail your or, you know, email your negative results. Then you get a test when you get off the plane, which is rushed, you know, easily with, you know, you get a quick test. I mean, I guess if you're rich, you can get tests really easy. And you get them, you know, done in an hour. By the time you get to his pad, Chappelle, you get your results back. And, you know, you either have to fly home or you get a band where you can stay. And then you can be in this, you know, green room area or whatever where everybody's hanging out and hug and be okay because no one has COVID. And you've been checked and rechecked. So very smart, very brilliant. And the the best part was when I saw the picture of all of them together, uh, I noticed Jaleel White was there, Urkel, which makes me so happy. So I really like this kid. I hope he's doing okay. And it makes me happy that Chappelle likes him a lot, I guess, because I'm telling you, I still watch that Family Matters. It's on at 5 in the morning at TBS or 6 in the morning, whatever it is. And that kid, he's such a good actor. When he's playing Stefan Urkel or whatever, who actually you know is the smooth-talking cousin of Steve Urkel, and he's you know dating Laura, he's a really good actor. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing to be able to play that and that nerdy kid that is still really funny. And being so, you know, be able to act that way at that age, it's pretty impressive. I don't understand why he doesn't get more work. I mean, he's obviously very talented, and he grew up tall and handsome. I mean, we should be grateful. We should be praising him. Unlike, you know, Webster and, and, and uh, you know, the kid from Different Strokes, uh, Gary Coleman, who, you know, had degenerative de- diseases like they almost got on purpose and then couldn't function in society. Should be grateful they found a kid who grew up tall and handsome and looks like he might be okay and hopefully saved his money and didn't have any problems with his parents. Hope that's the case. Ooh. Anyway, like I said, great day. Then after, um, you know, close. Also, uh, Artie Lang's sister came down, which was fantastic. I never get to see her. She never comes out. She got fired from her job like everybody else, and she's a a workaholic. So she finally had time to show up. And then we talked for like two hours yesterday, not even about Artie. The people were like, well, how's Artie doing? I'm like, you know what? I didn't even ask. Not because I didn't want to bother her. I just like her company so much. She's such a wonderful person. I mean, that's the thing about those Langs. Let's face it. You know, Artie's got a lot of problems, but he's like a great guy and fun and cool, and his sister's the exact same way. And she goes, you know, it was so great being there. I really needed a good time. I mean, this girl's been through the ringer family-wise. And she's like, I really needed a good time. And you guys were so warm. And, you you know, you invited me in. And everybody was so great. And it's funny, like, when I was thinking about how you guys all butcher each other. But when the chips are down, you know, you come to visit my brother in the hospital. And you're concerned. And you take each other out for dinner to celebrate birthdays. It's just something rare. And I said, yeah. That's what I've been talking about on my podcast for years. The Comedy Cellar family or just the 
family of comedy, when the chips are down, like when I sat on that glass table, everybody came by. You know, I mean, we do bust on each other nonstop. It's awful sometimes. But when there's trouble, these are your true friends. Well, some of them, <laughs> you know. But I told her, I said, no, that's because your legacy. You're allowed to come in. You're allowed to sit at the comics table. My sister would be able to do all that too. So would it tell sister. Anybody's sister or that, you know, that's halfway normal and especially not in comedy or not trying to be in comedy is considered legacy, like an animal house, like Dorfman. Your legacy because your brother is, you know, uh, a legend at the comedy cellar. <laughs> well, it's true. We know Artie is. We know Attell is. But somehow, I'm beloved there as well, thank God. And that's why all those people came out, and they had a birthday cake. They made me wear a tiara the whole time, which I couldn't care less. It was hilarious. And I just sat and sat in my chair and had a great time the whole night. You know, can't walk around, so I just sat down, which is odd for me. Normally, I'd be walking around and going to see different people, but I just hung out. Dove Davidoff was there. I was thinking of all these other people. Um, Mike Vinola. I don't know if you know these guys, but it was just great. Really great. See everybody. Uh, yeah. Really good time. Sherrod, Sherrod came down, right? Because then afterwards, I went with Sherrod because Olga was has been opening for Chelsea Handler, who I don't care for, at the Stress Factory. But I'm really happy for Olga. I mean, what, a, what an opportunity. And I've been telling her, you know, because she's like Woody Allen, where she's very insecure. She does not think she's funny, but she's just like, oh, I don't know. Maybe I don't deserve it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You perform more than anyone I know, and you bust your ass to go to Governors in Long Island, which I would never do. You go every day. You take a train an hour outside the city just to get on stage. If you don't think you deserve this, you're crazy. And then I told her, I said, that's how people make it in this business. They perform every day without fail, no matter what the problem, and I didn't put in the effort. But Sarah and Attell and and Louie at the time, I mean, they all did, and they got what they deserved. And I got what I deserved, you know, to be in a limbo area because that's the way I treated my career. I would perform sometimes, and then sometimes when there was something better to do, like a uh, Mets-Red Sox World Series, then I went there. <laughs> But yeah, and I, so so I was really happy for her. And her birthday is a day after mine, so she had come home that night around eleven thirty, and she said, "Let's meet up." So we made up, and um, she got a new place, so uh, we all went over there and and we hung out. And then um, everybody was leaving. She says, "No, you can't leave. You can't leave." And I felt bad. You know, I don't want to leave. I was exhausted. I mean, I was drinking for like eight hours, and I was like, "I I, I didn't want to leave her alone on her birthday." So we hung out a little more, and then I'm like, I really got to go. I'm a mess. And I told the next day, I said, you know what? Your skin is so soft. And she goes, you know, I hear that all the time. Everybody tells me that. I don't even know why. I don't moisturize. And then I was like, well, good. I'm like, what do you mean everybody tells you? That? <laughs> it's kind of funny. It's like um, this uh, girl I used to date, you know, down the Jersey Shore who I still keep in touch with totally and like her very much. And uh, when we were first dating, you know, she had a kid. And uh, she's like, hey, why don't you come over and meet my kid? And I'm like, no, it's not time, you know? And I'm, I'm sure the uh, the revolving door, 
the revolving door of suitors that your son has seen coming in and out of your house is not helpful to do this again. She goes, yeah, well, that may be true, but you know the point. And I'm like, you know, it's kind of funny not to deny it, not to be like, hey, don't say things like that. But she was like, yeah, all right, so what? I'm just saying. And I'm like, uh, uh, well, I only said that because I assumed you were going to slap my face. That's <laughs> kind of great. Yeah, so what of it? I mean, that's always a hilarious answer. Uh, but who cares? And uh, and then I walked home at four in the morning because I know I knew I had to walk. I still haven't taken a subway. I'm very proud of myself not taking a subway, a taxi, or Uber. And I walked home, and I walked home with all these this bag of gifts. And Stacy uh, Lang had given me a bottle of wine. I was the whole time I was walking. I was pretty drunk, and uh, but I really wanted to walk it off and do the walking because I hadn't walked at all. And I walked really from river to river, and. I was like, why? The next day when I was like, God, that bag was so heavy. Why was it so heavy? I'd forgotten I had a bottle of wine in there. My God, I carried it all the way home. And the wine was called Whoa, Nelly. She's like, I knew you would like the title. And I'm like, I do. Very kind of you. And Marina got me the funniest gift. So on Tuesday, me, Marina, I hosted the uh, Comedy Cellar nightly show. Liz asked me to do it on Monday, and I said, I'm not ready, but it was most, she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm not doing anything. I just, I, 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 I just need a day's notice. So uh, I said, if we do it tomorrow, can I have Marina and Rachel on? And she goes, sure. So we had me, Marina, Rachel, and um, this girl, Adrian Apolucci, who's great. Great girl, really funny. And so it's just the four of us, which is super fun. Just us girls. And we were having a great time. I mean, it's on YouTube. You can see it. Um, and it was just really funny and you know, we're, Rachel's just so funny and Marina's getting annoyed because she keeps doing the same bit, which is she has a guitar and she goes, well, actually, I wrote a song about it. And she takes the guitar, but she doesn't play. So she's just doing that bit and Marina's getting upset and I just keep laughing at it because it's funny every time for me because that I'm like a, you know, a little kid who finds the same joke funny every time, which is why I like Mark Cohen so much, who is the uh, house host in Las Vegas. And... um so I was telling, I was making fun of Marina because she always talks about celery juicing, and I'm like, listen, if you're, she's like, I want to tell you a story. I'm like, if it's going to be about celery juicing, Marina, I don't think I can handle it right now, and you know, whatever, it wasn't. But in the mail the next day, I got a book on celery juicing. <laughs> I, was, I was like, I left her a message. I'm like, you son of a bitch. I had no idea what this was. I opened it up. I was like, I don't remember ordering a package, and I saw it was your. I was like, I didn't even see the card first before I saw. I just opened it up. I'm like, son of a bitch. That's hilarious. That is a hilarious. Perfect gift. And then the next day, she got me uh, a bunch of Archie comics, which really made me happy, like the Digest, because I do. I will read those. And a bag of circus peanuts. I mean, this girl knows how to shop for a fella's birthday. This girl has been listening for a long time, which is very nice. But we all know girls are good at that. It's when a guy can do that that's really special. Am I right, ladies? Am I right? Because let's face it, guys don't listen. They're only concerned with their own thing, but they have to be because they work and they make a living. That's what everybody told us in the 1950s. Come on, you guys. I guess the president was in town yesterday because I guess I didn't even know he had a brother. His brother's sick. Who knew he had a brother? Did you guys know? I didn't know. You haven't even heard from that guy. Usually you hear about a president's brother because he's like an idiot. I don't know what this guy is all about anyway. Anyway, oh, remember I told you and I've, Put it up on the podcast last week uh, on, on YouTube. You can see, you know, I was talking about this Instagram post I posted 
I don't know why this is interesting at all, but I was so obsessed because remember they were taking out these little bit of canned laughter and and uh, this little tiny bit of a song, and then it goes into the Brady Bunch theme, and it was driving me crazy. You can just hear it, you know, and I couldn't repost it again on Instagram. It was driving me crazy, so it's bothering me because Instagram has the wrong post. And I was obsessed to find out why Instagram took off that little piece. Well, it wasn't Instagram's fault. It was mine. I found out as I was doing it because I noticed it wasn't in the YouTube thing again. I'm like, wait a minute. This is impossible. And I noticed when I was putting it out again that when I switched the stereo to mono, that music disappeared. I don't understand how it works, but that's the thing. Apparently on Instagram, if you have something that's in stereo sound-wise, it gets switched to mono at some point, which is why maybe I guess it takes five minutes sometimes and sometimes an hour. I don't know whether they go through their stuff or whatever the case may be, but it goes to mono, and that is why that isn't working. Wow. Uh, I mean, I was so happy that I found the solution, and now I know for the future... You know what the issue is. I just wish you know I could have had the real, the perfect thing. You know when you make something, you spend all that time. You want everything to be perfect, and it's really funny with the canned laughter. That's what makes it work. It works on Facebook and everything. So I guess Facebook puts its stuff stuff together in stereo. But folks, if you're going to post something in audio, make sure it's in mono, whatever that means, right? But when I do the podcast, it's always it's in mono. But when I take some of the clips. They're in stereo, and I have to convert them. And I don't know how something doesn't show up in mono. I don't even know what it means. But at least I got to the bottom of it. Not very interesting, but, you know, just uh, letting you know that I solved the problem. And it was driving me crazy. And it shouldn't have because it's just stupid. But that's the kind of stuff that drives me crazy. Also, last week... This is the weirdest thing. I was talking to my friend Chris Murphy. And I was like, uh, well, you know, people are saying that people, it must be hard because he lives he lives in a building that's not a doorman building. So a lot of people probably, I guess somebody had buzzed his buzzer. And that happens a lot. You can just buzz everybody's buzzer and hope you get in. If you're a thief or a package delivery guy, you buzz everybody and you hope, you know, they show that in the movies all the time. Buzz everybody. Somebody will let you in. And he, you know, I said, that must be really difficult. I would never let anybody in with a buzz that I wasn't expecting, let alone how terrifying it is when somebody buzzes and you're not expecting a buzz. Even in my building, when the doorman call up and I'm not expecting a buzz, I'm like, oh, my God, it's the police. Or it's got to be a mistake. Because it happened to me the other day. Olga was moving and she put some furniture. Remember, her sister lives in my building. And they called me on the intercom to see if I would, you know, let a package in or something. And I was like, well, I'm not expecting what's going on here. I'm not expecting anything. You know, it's terrifying. It's not like the 70s. Somebody rings your bell and, well, I wonder who that is. But then, you know, it's okay. <laughs> nobody nobody should be doing that anymore without texting first, I guess, unless you live in the suburbs. I don't know how it is. I've lived in the city too long. So we were talking about it. I'm like, well, I don't have that problem because I live in a doorman building. So nobody just knocks on my door. And lo and behold, I hang up the phone. Somebody knocks on my door. Somebody knocks on my door. So I know it's always, you know, one of the tenants, my neighbors, something like that. But I'm still like, even when I, I still don't do that to people. I will text them and say, I'm coming over. And it's that woman from Trading Places, the crazy, crazy, very beautiful, very attractive 
old newswoman who happens to be in the movie Trading Places who lives in the building, and she's knocking on my door, and I'm like, yeah? You, you know, uh, I, you know I, didn't, I mean, I figured it was her so I, because she's the only one that does this. And I'm like, what's up? And she has no mask on, which is funny because, you know, she's so anti-Trump. And she's carrying an empty glass of wine. And she just goes, do you have any wine? And she's clearly drunk, but she looks amazing. I don't know why she's dressing up all the time. She just, I mean, she really is really stunning. She's like, you got any wine? <laughs> and I'm like, um, I guess. You know, I'm so confused. I'm like, do I let her in? I haven't had anybody in my apartment in five months. It's obviously a mess. And I don't care about that. She seems, she doesn't care. She's just looking for wine. I'm like, you know, I think I do. So I had her come in and I had a bottle in the fridge that I had just kept. Actually, I smelled the wine to see if it was okay because I cleaned my refrigerator. As you know, because these are the things I talk about on my podcast. You guys remember when I cleaned out my refrigerator? Who does a podcast like that? Anyway, I gave her, I gave her the wine. I said, "Here, you know, when I was just say you can pour some." And then she's like, "Oh, I can have the whole thing." Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, what was I going to say? I didn't want her hanging out, <clears throat> you know, and drinking in my house. So I was like, "Yeah, go ahead." So she's like, "Yeah, I'll replace it." No, she's like, "I'll bring it." But she, she didn't say I'll replace it. She said, "Like, I'll I'll bring it back." I'm like, "No, nah, no, nah, it's, it's okay." And then she left completely happy. And I'm like, who cares? I was—I never drink wine at home anyway. I only have it for guests. So perfect. And then uh, a couple days ago, my sister called. And we were talking, having a, a good conversation. And she knocks again. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And I go, and I just go, go away. But then I knew she was there. And I, I knew she wasn't going to go away. And I opened the door. And I'm like, hello. And she goes, hey, do you have any wine? And I'm like, no, you cleaned me out. Now go away. <laughs> I mean, it's what are you supposed to do in that sense? And now the weird part is I want to get wine so I have it for when she needs it. What the hell's the matter with me? I texted her and I said, I'm sorry I couldn't talk. I was on the phone. Text before you come over. And I swear, you know, if she was different and normal, I would probably invite her in and we could hang out, but she is not normal. And she's one of those people that if she stayed here and let alone if something happened you know sexually or something because i'm telling you she's really really pretty she could be one of those people that'd be like he raped me it's too risky you don't sometimes even want to be a my other friend in the building won't be on the elevator with her because he's terrified she's gonna go crazy i mean this is the woman that says to me on the couch in the lobby dave i know you're working for him so you can just stop it and i'm like what are you talking about she goes i know you're working for bloomberg so you can tell him when you go back to him that I'm not falling for his shit. I'm like, oh, I'll let him know. I mean, that's obviously an insane, insane person. But And I would never talk to her in the building if she wasn't really gorgeous. <laughs> so now who's two-faced? I am. If that was somebody unattractive, I wouldn't even give them the time of day in the building for that to even happen. So look at me. But yeah, when somebody knocks on the door, you're not expecting it. It's terrifying. I mean, I love when my neighbors stop by, but you know, just text first, so I can be so I can be wearing pants. Who's wearing pants these days? Nobody's going anywhere. I don't walk around naked or anything, but I, you know, maybe I wear shorts or I wear just my underwear because I have good underwear. You know, I bought that expensive underwear, so it's okay to walk around. You know, it's it's like not like you know, it's it's good underwear. It looks like shorts. 
So I don't know. You know, it's ridiculous. But, you know, I want to put on pants when I answer the door. <laughs> it's the polite thing to do. <laughs> I normally like to come out like in crashing with my towel on, but um, I can't get my I can't get a towel into that good hair thing I want to make it look like I just came out of the shower, like that Ferris Bueller hair uh, towel. What else we got going on today? We have a lot going on today, I think. Well, I wasn't sure. You know, I also saw this movie, this Charlie Chaplin movie I watched on my birthday called Monsieur Verdot. I can't pronounce it properly. Monsieur Verdot. Monsieur, which I guess is French for Mr. And I saw it on the Turner Classic Movies. I was looking at some stuff they were playing. I'm watching it. I guess I've been watching it a lot lately because they've had some interesting stuff for the summer in the quarantine. And I always like to hear the before, like I taped a Clockwork Orange just so I could hear what they had to say, what Ben Mankiewicz had to say beforehand. Not that other lady who I really don't care for. Jacqueline, St- I guess that's her name, Jacqueline Stewart. I think that's the same woman. But I like to hear what he has to say, you know, what they have to say, a little pre-op. They're like, before he made this movie, Stanley Kubrick always thought that, you know, and I like those kind of things. So I, I taped the before and I taped the after. Well, I mean, I taped the whole thing, but I'll just look at the before and after. If I'm not in the mood to watch the whole movie. Meanwhile, I've watched the whole movie at Clockwork Orange again and... Boy, it really is something else. But so I'm watching and I see this Charlie Chaplin thing. It's called Monsieur Verdot. I've never heard of it before. And it says it's from 1947. And the premise is that uh, a true story, actually based on a true story about a man who murdered 14 wives, you know, so he could get their money to pay for his real family, his, you know, his actual family that he actually loved. And he married like 14 secret wives and then he killed them to get their, you know, money, whatever, however he got them. And I'm like, boy, now that's the most interesting Charlie Chaplin premise I've ever heard from something from so long ago. But 47, I didn't even know Chaplin was making movies back then. And he must talk in this, so that'll be interesting. I don't think I've ever heard him talk. I've never seen The Great Dictator. It just always looks so dull. So I'm like, I'm going to tape it. I'll watch the first five minutes. I'm sure it'll be boring, and then I'll just turn it off. But let's see what he let's see what he sounds like. Let's see what he looks like when he's not dressed as the cha- as the tramp. I mean, this is interesting. So yeah, I watched that. I watched it the whole way through. It was fun. it's a dark comedy. Um, it, it 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 was great. I really enjoyed it. It was very fascinating to um, listen to him talk. Number one, playing a playboy. He was 58 when he made it. And playing a playboy who romances these women and, you know, they don't show how he kills them or anything except, you know, one one time. And it's and Martha Ray is in it and she's disgusting, <laughs> but she's really funny in it. And he keeps trying to kill her and it's not working, which is funny. So it's a total black comedy or I guess you're not allowed to say that anymore. Dark comedy. And uh, yeah, with a really... Uh, amazing ending apparently based on a story by orson wells which he credited and then i you know i was reading the after thing and you know people didn't like it it didn't this is the movie he was trying to come to america to you know uh you know to press for publicize and he got shipped back because he didn't want to have the investigation because this is when they called him a communist and all that nonsense is whereas uh <clears throat> paul simon says in the woody album you know before his un-american thing so it did well in other countries, but it never did well here. And then they, I believe, well, but it did get nominated for Best Screenplay. Go figure. And thank God, because 
It's really I, I I've never seen anything like it before. And the second like, when you're thinking of back then making movies like that, especially with a beloved comic figure to be in a movie like that, boy, that's something else. And it's really funny because I could you know if, if you ever watch it, especially at the beginning part, you can see you can see me being in it because at the beginning he does this you know stupid stuff which is just funny, but it's great. It's really fascinating I, I i don't know i i, I didn't think i was going to watch it i thought i'd watch it in spurts like i watched the irishman like in a half hour increments or something and i found myself just i needed to watch more i needed to see how it ended i needed to see this part i needed to see how it goes and uh really enjoyed it you know just not a i don't know why it wasn't in color it was 1947 but i guess that cost more or something and he wrote it and directed it and starred in it and yeah it's really you know you just then i just started doing all this research on charlie chaplin and how is uh listen uh as you may or may not know my friend jeff ross is going through very similar louis charlie chaplin like stuff a lot of uh problems so uh you know this is the kind of stuff i tell jeff and i'm like listen you know charlie chaplin had the same problem woody allen had the same problem you just got to do the work and hope the people love you enough to appreciate it just keep doing the work just keep doing the work that's how I mean, think about Woody Allen, right? Think about Woody Allen. This guy, besides these ridiculous allegations with Dylan, which I really don't believe happened, in the early 90s, we know he had sex with his stepdaughter, okay? That's 10 times worse than any of these allegations, right? We know he had sex with his stepdaughter. We know it. He admitted it, and it happened. This is before they were married. And he just kept putting out the work. And this should have destroyed him, which of course some people will never forgive him. Um, but he just kept, and of course it was a different time. But he just kept putting out the work. It never affected any, there's not one movie you can see where he's like, well, this was a dark period for him because nothing is reflect. all his movies are kind of time, they take place in, you know, besides Annie Hall, which is clearly 70s, they most of them take place where you couldn't tell what decade it was in, like we were talking about, Hannah and her sisters. That's an 80s film? That came out the same year, back to school? You know what I'm saying? So none of his personal problems are reflected in his work, besides his obviously, you know, most of his biographical stuff. But you just got to keep doing the work and hope for the best. There's, you know, I know, you know, you're having problems with me. You just, what else can you do? You know, you have to kind of sit there, maybe take it and do the best you can and hope for the best. But, uh, yeah, Charlie Chaplin had a lot of uh, issues. And so, he, you know, the, again, but then they it was all forgiven in the in the 70s. And they re-released all these other films that he made after. Limelight, apparently, one called in the 50s. But he got disenchanted. But, Yeah. Uh, I don't know, you know, I just, I don't, I'm not an old movie guy, but I guess I've been watching more because there's time. I watched, I told you on the podcast last week, I watched Bring It Up Baby with Cary Grant and Katherine Hepburn. I'm watching these old movies, old movies that I would never watch normally because most of them are just dull. They're dull. I mean, you really have to be in a state of mind to watch it. They're not exciting. They don't move along. And can you blame them? Again, even like what we talked about Back to the Future, I mean, that scene where they're trying to get Marty back home, it goes on for hours. It's difficult to watch. I'm like, all right, all right, just get in the car already. Fix the, the, the clock and the, and the power cables. It's, getting, it's going too long. 
But back then, I mean, that was on the edge of when MTV kind of changed everything. You know, you could make longer scenes and longer things because people had time. People weren't doing anything. You know, there wasn't, the attention spans were different. And, you know, once MTV came along, everything changed. And that's why I'm always surprised that the Avengers movies are like two and a half, three hours long. I'm like, I don't know, who has the attention span for this? How come all movies aren't about 84, 90 minutes? At the most two hours. I'm fascinated. They've gotten longer. And maybe they've gotten longer because they know people are more watching from home than the movie theater. And what happens with these movies like the next James Bond or the Wonder Woman 84 that they're all postponing until movie theaters open up again? Will that ever even happen? Does anybody even want to go to a movie theater when you can watch everything at home? Why take the risk? I mean, if everybody's now been bought up to watch movies on their phones, which really is horrible because there really is nothing better than watching it at the big screen, but I'm not a movie guy. I don't ever go to the movies. That's mostly because I I was always – I before all this, I was afraid of people coughing and sneezing in the movies and people are dicks and they're talking. You know, It's like, why not? Why wouldn't I want to watch it at home? And then they got big enough screens that you can pretty much watch. You know, It's pretty still good time. People can set up their – Homes to have good sound. What do you need to go to the movies for with a bunch of jerk-offs, you know? I mean, at least when you go to a sporting event together, you're allowed to talk. You're allowed to be raucous and have a good time. But if you're in a movie theater, you're you're begging everybody else to be as respectful as well. And you know there's a lot of jerks that go there sick and, you know, just are just horrible people that can't control themselves in a social environment. Like we're on Broadway, you sit there in a show and somebody's on their phone. Now, I understood, of course, if you needed to play HQ at 9 o'clock because you needed to get an additional life and you were on a streak. But there, otherwise, there's no reason to look at your phone during a Broadway show. You turn it off. Thank you. What else we got going on today? Oh, hey, think about this. This is the only time in history where old people old people, not just us or me, sorry, I didn't mean to include everybody, but like my mother, people her age, feel bad for young people. That's never, ever happened. That's when you know something's real messed up here. There are old people that are like, oh, I feel so bad for people in like their 20s or high school. You know, if, I mean, that's what being an old person is supposed to be. Like, ah, the young people don't give a shit about anything anymore. They don't understand how it used to be. They have no respect. Go figure. Something like this happens and all of a sudden, I feel bad for the young people in our country, you know? That's not supposed to happen. That's when you really know, and I'm going to say it, everything is what? Fakakta. I'm bringing the word back. Also, I don't know whether you saw my bar mitzvah picture that I put up when I was hula hooping on Instagram. I didn't. I don't think I said it was my bar mitzvah. I said it was the hula hoop champ, which is so funny. Everybody's like, wow, I can't believe you were the hula hoop champ three years in a row. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're dumb. Uh, but that photo is truly priceless. And I'm so glad I found it. Now, what's also, you know, the reason why that photo is epic is not just because I look hilarious. I look exactly the way I look now, you know, except, uh, you know, a Beatles haircut. Um, the, the attempt in my face to 
you know, hula hoop correctly. But the outfit, now you can see the outfit the other kids were wearing. They are not even dressed half as unbelievable as I am in a velvet rust leisure suit. I mean, this suit was the greatest suit anyone's ever worn, maybe ever. And you can see there's a guy holding my jacket. You know, I just took the jacket off the hula hoop. I mean, this outfit was amazing. The shoes were amazing. And my mother picked it out. And she, my mother, who's disgusting, <laughs> looked amazing at my bar mitzvah. And she knows and we know that's the best she's ever looked in her life, ever. And we all admit it. She admits it, too. That was the greatest day she's ever looked. Why do you think Beth's so angry? You don't look that good at my bar mitzvah. Well, it was hard to recreate. But, you know, this outfit I was wearing, you can see the other kids are just dressed. I'm thinking, who, who's dressing them? This is horrible. Now, that suit could never be worn again because it should have been a museum relic. And I should still own that suit. But my mother gave it to this kid, Mark Bernard, for his bar mitzvah, I guess. And, I'm still, and he never returned it. Now, yes, I can't fit into that suit anymore. I never will be able to again, no matter whether I'm fat or thin, just because of my height size. But that's, I should have that suit for always because even back then, we knew it was a classic suit. Even months later, we're like, boy, nobody's going to wear a suit like this again. I mean, that's how beautiful this suit, the 70s, the whole situation is awesome. And you can see I'm dressed better than anyone i'm dressed better than any of the girls in that photo of course there were no girls in that particular photo but i promise you i invited the girls and funny thing is i'm friendly with most of the girls that were at my bar mitzvah still and you know i wrote a lot of them that wrote they're like this is great i'm like they're like oh man i'm so happy for you i'm like what are you talking about you were there you got to see it live what are you complaining you don't remember you don't remember me doing this and that, of course, is the classic uh, time where I had to sing the pardon me, miss, but I've never done this with a real live goyle. <laughs> oh, my dad made me sing that song. God damn it. You know, if I could have sung a BG song or something else that would have been relevant, even Barry Manilow, I would have been a living legend. Why did he make me sing this horrible song? Not only hadn't I been with a girl before, why would I sing a song about being with a girl when you've never been with a girl before? Oh, it was so embarrassing. No, you're going to sing this song because it'll make your grandmother happy. What the fuck is that? What? Why would you do that to somebody? To make your grandma? He was making me sing that song to make his mother happy. Well, who am I kidding? We've done that to Dory. It'll make Grammy happy. Uh, yeah, I think we have. Well, yeah, but it was at my embarrassment. I mean, these kids only have to do like one or two. Things. Hey, if you wear this, it'll make your grandmother happy. I don't know. Feels like this was a lot to ask for. I mean, if the song was cool, it would be different. You sing this uh, Jackson 5 song. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy yourself. <laughs> I mean, that would have been, that would have been epic. So, God damn. <laughs> I'm so angry because that suit really should be in a museum. You know, when also when I you know, when I become really famous <laughs> you know, a year from now because the pandemic's really working for me, 
uh, they're going to want that suit in the Museum of Natural History, and I hope they find it somewhere. You know, with Fonzie's jacket, Archie Bunker's chair, it needs to be in that vein. Uh, Sam Malone's members-only jacket. (laughs) I mean, that's how good this rust-colored velvet leisure suit looks. And I swear to God, if I find out that Mark Bernard gave it away to somebody else or his mother threw it out, I'm going to be very even more furious. I don't keep in touch with Mark Bernard, but now I'm going to have to. Are you happy, Mom? Now I got to get in touch with Mark Bernard. Who knows what this guy's up to? And now it's even worse because I'm getting, you know, Instagrams and Facebooks from people that weren't invited. And they were like, oh, my God, is that Al Zuckerman behind you? I'm like, yeah, it is. And then I'm like, oh. By the way, dude, I'm so sorry I didn't invite you. Oh, man. You know, my mother, she didn't care for people that weren't Jewish. (laughs) I mean, really, it's funny that I actually feel bad. I feel bad. I'm like, oh, dude, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, you should have been there. But they weren't invited because they were. We invited one guy who wasn't Jewish. I think his name was Walter Kehoe. So he was invited, uh, but I against my mother's best wish. I'm like, no, come on. He lives down the block. What's the matter with you, you horrible woman? You reverse prejudice whore. So now I, I've been apologizing to people for not inviting them to something from 40 years ago, uh, which you know puts a lot of pressure. By the way, on Friday after my birthday, I returned 148 well-wishing happy birthday messages on Facebook. That is what I do the next day after my birthday because I can't stand when people say, hey, thanks, everybody. Thanks so much for all the birthday wishes. I really appreciate it. I'm like, fuck you. I'm going to go through every one of these people and really appreciate that they were kind enough to write something to me on my birthday because it really means a lot to me. I am a birthday guy. You know this, except in the milestone years. Then I might just shut down. But I I respond to everybody. I write something individually to 148 people, and that went up by the end of the day. So I basically responded to about 155 people during the day and then had to go back, look at their response, and respond again. I spent two hours doing that yesterday, but you know, I just took my time. I didn't look at any Facebook Stuff that came in during the birthday. I said, that's, I'll leave that till tomorrow. Anybody, the text that I wrote back, anybody that Instagram wrote back, Facebook, I waited until the next day. And then I woke up, had some coffee, sat down at the computer, said, here we go. And I say to myself, is this a chore that I'm putting on myself? And I said, no, you know what? It's a joy. I like this. I like keeping in touch with people. And then I told my sister, I'm like, this is why you don't have any friends or you complain about this stuff. At least go through the stuff and like it. I, it makes people happy that you saw it. So she does, you know, I told her to do that. But that's a lot of work too. But I like responding to everybody that's written. That is how, because I'm very, very happy that they took, a, you know, time out to do that. Because I try and do it for everyone's birthday. I'm really rather diligent about it. And I hate you know, when somebody I, when I miss one and like somebody's not on Facebook and I didn't find out like this girl, Lindsay, and I, I found out I missed it. I, I felt horrible. And that's right. And, you know, that's the thing. Before Facebook, I was doing this anyway. I had a list of everybody's birthdays and I'd look at it every day 
But Facebook has made it a lot easier. But there are a lot of people that are on, on Facebook that I have to remember. I used to pride myself on, you know, knowing when everybody's birthday is. You hear me I do a little Peter Brady action there. My voice is changing. But, yeah. What else is going on? There's nothing else going on, which is great. You know, it's funny. I'm, I'm Like I said, I'm working on this project. I'll let you know about it soon. And uh, I'm like, well, I guess I should get to it. I'm like, eh, do it Monday. What's the rush? And, you know, I got my uh, unemployment insurance figured out, too. It's great. I told my friend Audrey, who you might remember from last summer, who's very young indeed, who just turned, I think, 24, and we were going out last year. And she's, it's funny, she's been very, very helpful and become a very good friend. And she told me, you know what you need to do? And I, maybe I told you this. She told me, you know, call your congresswoman. And she set it up. She didn't just say it. She goes, I'm going to do it for you. And she got in touch with this congresswoman. And because of the congresswoman, after I started emailing them, the unemployment insurance was taken care of. Folks, I'm putting it to you, Mr. and Mrs. Front Porch. This is how you handle the situation. It was amazing. I only got a call back because I got a congresswoman involved who handled the situation. That's fantastic, right? That's what you want to happen. Audrey somehow brilliantly found the person in my district that I needed to talk to, found a number, found an email address, and worked it out for me. And it turned out somebody messed up my unemployment. There was a major error. And I am due about 14 weeks of back pay. And this woman that called me a couple weeks ago also got it wrong. So then I got a call Tuesday morning from this other woman who clearly has been there for a while who called me and said even the woman that called me got it wrong. And she said, listen, we got a whole bunch of a lot of new people here. So it makes sense. And she goes, I'm going to fix this for you. And she kept me on the phone. And she said, I'm fixing this for you. It's just going to take a week to go into effect. Do me a favor. Don't call here again (laughs) she was saying it in the politest way she's saying if you call you're going to mess up what i've done for you don't call again which made so much sense you know they're just getting too many calls they're overwhelmed i'm not blaming anybody over there i don't know how they're handling this but we talked for an hour me and this woman over there and she goes well i don't know how you got a call but you must know somebody high up i mean that's what she said she knew i somehow got a call from a congressperson. I mean, that's how tough it is for them. And I just did what an American is allowed to do, and you hope the system works. And boy, I'll tell you, it really makes you feel good since there's kind of a crazy person in charge of the country, and, you know, I I think an awful person in charge of this city. To have a constituent, I believe that's the word, you know I'm horrible with this, um, to do what's supposed to be done like you see in the movies. I mean, it's really fantastic. And, uh, you know, just because we're not at the same party, I am absolutely voting for her again if she's running, and I will make sure I vote for her all the time. She's wonderful. <laughs> a female congresswoman. That's the funniest part of it all. I, I couldn't believe it when I found out. I'm like, wait a minute, you're a woman? <laughs> this is this is amazing. Yeah, no, I didn't say that. 
<laughs> but I want to every time. For me, that's always funny. Wait, 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 wait. It's a female congresswoman? There's a congresswoman? I believe I still get that from the uh, Family Ties episode where, uh, you know, I'd just be doing the bit. Michael J. Fox, when somebody was studying women's studies, he would be like, <laughs> so I still do that bit because uh, it's, uh, it's funny every time. You just want to hear how it sounds when it comes out as long as they know you're not serious. It's still pretty funny, I guess. Well, I guess I can get away with it. I'm a pretty funny guy sometimes, you know, sometimes. I'm uh, what we call 75%. You listen to the podcast, you know, 75%. Ask the people who are in the audience with Jim Gaffigan. I'm like, yeah, he was 75% funny. I actually bet that it's probably like 60%. Well, we don't know. There's nobody's there laughing. Uh, let's see. A couple more things. You know what I want to get to today? Uh, what I'd really like to do is do what I've been planning to do. This is stupid, but I don't know. I'm like really into it. Uh, is the defunct restaurant change been talking about it for three weeks i just really want to do it today i don't know why and we're really out of time already but i just want to do it i'm just excited to do something normal and stupid and i'm enjoying talking to you guys and i love doing the podcast this way regularly i love the regularly scheduled podcast just you and me doing it at my desk in the bedroom looking out the window this is the way i really enjoy doing the podcast um so you know, I was like, oh, oh it'll be great. And I can go back to the way it is. I mean, because last week was really complicated uh, and scary. You know, you got to keep staring. You got to make sure everything looks good. I don't even know if the sound's recording. I mean, at least here, I can look over at my, my task cam and I can see, okay, it's definitely recording. Good to go. I didn't get nervous about that. Who wouldn't? But with Zoom, if I'm taking it off Zoom, I, I have to pray it's recording. Because, you know, you might lose podcast gold. Now, of course, that's why I had Mike on the first day. I mean, no offense to Mike whatsoever. But, all right, if I lost that, you know, we could do it again. But if I have Amy Eckerling on or or even really Judy Gold or somebody, you know, that don't, normally wouldn't come on my podcast, Richard Klein, somebody like that, oh, God, I'd be devastated if I lost that. And, again, please, you understand, no offense to Mike Sutter, but he's my friend, so I could ask him to come on again and we could redo it. Those people, I'd be mortified. They're not. I'm not as close with. I mean, maybe Judy, we could redo. But oh my god, she would. But I mean, it'd be kind of hilarious because she would give me so much shit. Oh, by the way, at my birthday, we were talking about kind of reaching out to the girl that got me fired at my job. It's been a year, and having her on the podcast. I mean, how awesome would that be? Right. I mean, that could be the greatest podcast ever recorded. I mean, the Times might pick that up. I mean, this is something else, right? Having that girl on, we haven't spoken since that day, and hashing it out? Boy, that'd be something else, huh? Right? I mean, do I want to do it? Like, no, but that's what makes it so great. You don't tell me that's not going to be some sort of riveting, you know, get her views, get her background if she was honest. Boy, that would be something else, huh? I don't know if that could ever happen. I don't even know if I want to get in touch with her, but let's face it. You know, I love that kind of shit, right? That's what podcasts are made for, and nobody makes them like that. That's what you want in something like this, the truth, reality, a real moment, you know, about something to happen. I mean, we, you know, what, do we, what, what would be the, the greatest podcast? 
Mia Farrow, Woody Allen, hashing it out, saying, all right, listen, I was mad at you. I mean, if everybody was honest and truthful, that would be the only way it would be amazing. But it would still be amazing because you're like, wait, is she being honest? You know, I mean, still there'd be controversy. There'd be something to talk about. I mean, that kind of stuff. I mean, obviously it wouldn't be on this level, but in a way it is on that level because I got me too'd and that's big news. And to go against your accuser, can you imagine? Well, Harvey Weinstein's a bad story because he really did some bad shit. So it would have to be somebody who got kind of burned but didn't really do anything horribly awful. Harvey Weinstein facing an accuser would be great, but it would just be one-sided. He could say, I'm sorry, but there's nothing else here. We have a battle. I'm like, but why did you do it to me? I thought we were hitting it off. you know. And if she was honest... Like, what if she said, like, ah, somebody told me I could get money or something? You know, I, I, who knows, you know? I mean, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. We just started talking about it, and it's interesting. Even better would be getting that girl that uh, tried to kill me at the office Christmas party, but she hates me, which, of course, awesome podcast. But I don't think she'd ever do it. I feel like this girl might come around. I would love for you to meet her. <laughs> I mean, guys, right? I mean, come on, right? It'd be unbelievable. So I'm going over these defunct restaurant chains. I know this isn't as <laughs> Why set up this unbelievable? Oh, my God, that podcast would be great. And then you go back like, so what's up with Gino's hamburgers, right? And then people are like, all right, I'm tuning out. I'm done. I'm done. You just, just gave it. You teased us. With this unbelievable podcast, now you're going to go to defunct restaurants? What the fuck is the matter with you? But that's what I did. This is the Nightfly, folks. This is what we do. I found this interesting. I saw it online. And I love it. And they have pictures of everything. So Gino's, Gino's was what used to be, for us in New Jersey, Kentucky Fried Chicken. It used to be called Gino's. And I guess Kentucky Fried Chicken purchased Gino's. Um, I can't tell. But they, but yeah, Gino's was on Route One in the neighborhood I grew up in, and then it became Kentucky Fried Chicken. And I don't know what happened to them. There's no, uh, I don't know. They just put it up there, but they don't have any information of what happened to them, unless that's just the first picture. But the first one, I guess, is Chi Chi's. I actually thought Chi Chi's was still open. These were all on. I live in, you know, I grew up in Edison, New Jersey, on Route One which, as you know, goes from Key West to Maine. And we live right in the middle. And Route 1 is where I saw Star Wars and The Spy Who Loves Me and worked at three jobs along Route 1 in Bennigan's, which will probably be on this list, and uh, Rustler Steakhouse. And the movie theater was there. And this Gino's there, you know, is all one strip between Edison and Woodbridge that I lived on, you know, and it goes forever and there's lots of strips. But in this particular, where the Menlo Park Mall is, was my strip. Now, there was a fucking jack-in-the-box on there, which I'm still angry that it's gone. A house of pancakes. This little strip area. And there was a Chi-Chi's on there. And all these chains were all together. And some of them were on this list. I didn't know that Chi-Chi's left. I actually still thought it was there. Do you remember that one? I, I, I actually thought it was still around, but apparently it closed in 2003 after being hit with the largest hepatitis A outbreak in U.S. history. <laughs> I don't know why it's funny. 
but it is. And then they have Bob's Big Boy. I actually thought that was still open too. That's confusing. Everybody knows Bob's Big Boy from California. You know, I mean, I don't. I've never been there. But isn't that isn't that the uh, the one that's in uh, Austin Powers? I thought that was the one. I didn't know. I didn't even know they were closed. Um, Shakey's Pizza. I, I know. I actually thought that was still open too. I know that's in California. That just looks like a, you know how I like Domino's? Why well, wouldn't I saw shake? Like, I only eat regular pizza and, uh, oh, who am I kidding? I eat Pizza Hut too. So I suppose if I lived out where there was a Shakey's Pizza, I'd probably go. But yeah, that was somewhere I never planned on going. I only saw that out in LA. And I guess they closed them all up. And I'm sure Domino's and Little Caesars, you know, put them out of business. Shakey's Pizza Parlor. I mean, even in the Bad News Bears in 1976, they went to Pizza Hut instead of Shakey's. That probably would have kept them in business for a longer time. Kenny Rogers Roasters. We know what happened there. They went bankrupt in 1998, which is almost impossible if you're on a legendary episode of Seinfeld. How do you go bankrupt four years later when there's a legendary Seinfeld episode on how amazingly delicious Kenny Rogers fried chicken is? That is just poor management. Okay, so here's the Geno's one, right. Um, That's why I was looking. Geno's restaurant only operated in the Midwest for a short period of time, which, of course, doesn't make any sense since it was right across the street from me. I could walk there from my house. Oh, the company's 359 locations mainly all operate on the East Coast before you're being bought out by Marriott Corporation. The name stuck around for a little while. Eventually, the last Geno's closed down in 1986. A sad end for Geno, considering that for a time, the Geno Giant Burger could actually hold its own against McDonald's Big Mac. Eh, no big deal. But they have like, you know, there's a thing. I'm looking at all the pictures of it, and they're kind of fascinating because I remember. Oh, Steak and Ale. Steak and Ale was on that strip as well. So it went uh, the movie theater, Rustler Steakhouse, which turned into like a Sizzler, which turned into something else, uh, 7-Eleven, and then all the chains. Steak and Ale was for, no, Bay Street no, Steak and Ale was first, then Bay Street, then Bennigan's, and they all shared a parking lot. Those three restaurant like chains, but were basically the same: Steak and Ale, Bay Street, which was more seafood oriented, and Bennigan's, where I worked. And then when you went a little further into Woodbridge, you had Chi-Chi's, Fridays, which I wonder if it's still there. Um, and oh, crap. There's like three other ones there. Now there's uh, another Mexican restaurant, which is pretty popular. I think it's just called Eat. Is that popular? Uh, something like that. But yeah, Steak and Ale was, um, that was the first one they closed. You know, it's funny when you think they closed in 19, right, they were probably big in the 1980s, and they closed in 2008, bankruptcy. But they said they're announcing a comeback. <laughs> I don't see that happening. White Tower, which, of course, was the knockoff to White Castle. I've seen a couple of the White Towers. Quite a bit to imitate the success of White Castle in 26. White Castle was done in 21 and just didn't work out. It's kind of weird to try and emulate White Castle and then call yourself White Tower. Seems like kind of a douche move. Or on the flip side, genius if it's 1920s and there's, 
You just don't have a White Castle in your neighborhood and you never heard of it before because there's no news. There's no way to get news. Lums, never heard of before, ever. So I really don't care. I only like the ones I've heard of, of course. Uh, Pup and Taco? What the hell is that? Maybe these were on the West Coast or something. Never heard of that. Never. Oh, Pop. Pop and Taco. No, it says Pup and Taco. Well, the sign says Pop and Taco, but I can't really, I don't know. Oh, Southern California. And that must have been before I even started going. Oh, yeah, it grew until 1984 when all the 90. Okay, so I never went out to California before that. So, yeah, that was gone. And Wetsons, which I absolutely went to before there was McDonald's in any of our neighborhood. There was a Wetsons. I remember going there with my grandmother. There was one in, um, I guess, Sheepshead Bay. And, uh Yeah. Totally remember going there because it was like it was they they it had like looking for the orange circles. It had like almost golden arches. Wetsons had one two clown mascots, and the founder Herbert Wetson was actually inspired to open his own fast food restaurant after stopping by the original McDonald's, which was at the time owned and operated by the McDonald's brothers in California. Uh, but anyway, I remember all of those changed to. McDonald's, Wetsons. I totally remember before we ever heard of McDonald's here, going to Wetsons. We'd go with my grandmother. I guess it must have been the very late sixties. It had to have been the very late sixties because I can't. I pretty. I feel like in very in the early seventies, McDonald's was around. Maybe it wasn't. Burger Chef. I don't know what that is. Maybe you guys know. Again, I'm sorry. I'm going Beefsteak Charlie's. Oh my god. I loved Beefsteak Charlie's. I'm, this is the one I'm actually sad is gone because I'd still go there. And my friend Corey Abraham, who runs uh, the Bravo Network, we were the last people to go before they closed in around the early 2000s. We were the last people to go. She was the last person I could find that wanted to go with me. There was one left on 8th Avenue in the 50s in the city here. And I always used to go to the one on 7th Avenue and 50s when I was in high school. I loved it. All the beer, wine, and sangria you could drink. They never checked IDs so we could drink at 17. And the free shrimp and salad bar. It was fantastic. Yeah, it was like a, you're going to get spoiled, right? Or you can eat salad bar as well as an unlimited beer, wine, and sangria. It could not be truer. And then it, by 1984, the chain had lost over $20 million after being bought by Bombay Palace Restaurant. The chain eventually closed in the early 2000s. We used to go to the one in Staten Island. Oh, I loved it there. I loved it. It was so perfectly cheap. And all the beer, wine, and sangria you could drink. It was fantastic. We used to just get sangria all the time. Oh, man. I really miss it. I just kept going back to that shrimp. Oh, they were tiny little shrimp. It was stupid. It cost them nothing. And then he'd have a steak. Oh, my God. I loved it there. And those commercials were great. Well, I think it went, you're going to get spoiled. That beef steak, Charlie's tonight. And what was the, the Saturday Night Live one? Bill Murray. Pre-chew Charlie's? <laughs> Bikini Sports Bar and Grill. I don't know that one. Apparently, it just recently closed down. It's clearly a, a Hooters. The company actually trademarked the word restaurant. And even bought a town just to temporarily rename it Bikinis, Texas. Yeah, they're, they're you're not gonna you're not gonna have a place called Bikinis. I mean, I can't believe Hooters still exists in this culture. And uh, 
you're not brand naming the restaurant is not going to work in this day and age. So, yeah. Mini Pearl's fried chicken. Yeah, I think we know where that was located. That's insane. Red Barn. I think I remember them. I don't know, but they closed in like 1988. That was a long time ago. I don't know about this one. Chicken Delight. I totally remember. I didn't know anybody else knew about that. I actually thought that was that was in Brooklyn. Founded in 52, delivery chain service or takeout, over 1,000 locations in the 60s. Don't call tonight. Call Chicken Delight. It was right on their bucket of chicken. This is before we knew about KFC. Chicken Delight. We used to have it all the time at my grandmother's. Chicken Delight quickly gained tradition, but at the same time, Kentucky Fried Chicken was making its empire. And yet, KFC bought it down. By 1979, Chicken Delight was no more. I totally remember Chicken Delight. We would order that all the time in Brooklyn. Don't cook tonight. Call Chicken Delight. It was good. It was outstanding fried chicken. But KFC ripped it a new asshole. What about Howard Johnson's? You remember that? You guys kind of probably remember that. I mean, really, they were gone by 1982. But yeah, uh, there were a couple left. When I was in high school, I'd go, it was like a Westfield. I'd travel all the way because they, you know, they had the good ice cream there and everything. And, you know, it was just a pretty much a diner, but who doesn't remember, you know, that orange awning and everything. And in fact, they, they mentioned Howard Johnson's in uh, Blazing Saddles. Everybody's named Howard Johnson's. <laughs> it was such, you know, what was it? It was a hotel and a restaurant, right? And there was a Howard Johnson's, I mean, in Times Square. It, while I was living here. So that was in the late 80s. I tell and I definitely went to Howard Johnson's a few times because I think it was open 24 hours in Times Square. And here's the best one, Sambo's, which I believe they only just closed like a week ago, the last one. They say it demised in 1982, but I had just heard because it's so derogatory that the last one just closed. How is that possible? Sam Bose. I mean, talk about seriously not knowing any better. Okay, you know, all the stuff we've been talking about, you're going to keep a restaurant open called Sam Bose. Uh, you're really kind of dumb. I mean, really. I'm talking about if you're keeping a restaurant named Sam Bose open in any time after 2000, you're a genuine idiot and you kind of deserve what you get. <laughs> Oh, yes, yes. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Well, that's our show for today. And, uh, yeah, we, uh, well, we went about normal time pretty much. I think, um... The restaurant thing might have been fun, but maybe it was more fun for me than it was for you. Who knows? But, you know, it's my birthday, and I need to entertain myself. Am I right? And uh, thanks, some of you, for the uh, lovely birthday wishes you also put out. I really appreciate that very much. Uh, of course, if you always want to contact me, you can contact me on Instagram uh, or Twitter. Or uh, really email me at DaveJustCountFans at gmail.com. I always love to hear from everybody, especially people that enjoy the podcast. Not so much from people who don't care for it. but um, always looking for a friendly face and uh, people that appreciate the things that I do and love bringing it to you 
This has been a wonderful day, a beautiful weather to look outside to, and I'm uh, obviously in a pretty good mood, even though we opened with a big rant, but, you know, who cares? And um, by the way, you know, um, they started playing Hard Knocks on HBO again, which is the uh, a football show for, um, you know, uh, which they go behind the scenes before people are warming up for the regular football season. And this year they're doing two teams, the Rams, the Los Angeles Rams and the Los Angeles Chargers, because they're playing in the same, same stadium for the first time. So they're going, and it was very interesting. First episode, they have Sean McVay as the host of the Rams, and he's sitting at his pool drinking wine with his super hot uh, model fiance, you know, which is so funny. And it's just like, why would you even want to be depicted as that? But he's like a really funny guy, and it's so funny seeing him uh, talking to his team because he's so tiny compared to them. Uh, and the coach of the Chargers is really terrific, too. It's a, a black guy who uh, tells this really great story while he's barbecuing with his wife how uh, he got sent to Cleveland by Bill Parcells, who got him a job. And he goes, Cleveland sucks. I was so angry. They say, I looked it up, and they say, it's the worst place for single men. But he turned out meeting his wife there that he's still married to, so it's a great story. These are really good coaches to have on the show. And who knows what's going to happen, but it's very fascinating watching their social distancing practices and watching how they get tested every day. So in that sense, it's a quite fascinating uh, season of Hard Knocks, so I guess I will watch. I wasn't sure if I would, but I watched the first episode and was intrigued, so it was quite good. Um, I'm not sure what we're going to do next week, maybe the same thing, but I will begin to have some more guests on, whether you like it or not, because, like I said, I enjoy mixing it up. And next week, I believe we will talk about uh, the wonderful director who just died uh, this past week named Alan Parker, who I've spoken about on this podcast multiple times because he was such a fascinating director in the way, uh, you know, that Scorsese or Woody Allen might give you, you know, you know their films, even John Hughes. This guy made films that you would never know were connected by the same director. He made musical films. He made heavy, heavy dramas that we know and beloved, and he went way beyond that in scary films and really... You know, one of those kind of directors that was just good at directing, and he even had to deal with Madonna at one point since he directed Evita, and he was like, you know, that was no picnic. So, of course, we can imagine that, and we will do some research on Alan Parker, and I will tell you uh, more about him next week. But next week, as we, you know, get into the seriousness of August, as it becomes September, when no one knows what's going to happen, are the kids going to school, are they not going to school, are they going to school and then coming back to school? Are things going to open up? Does football start? Oh, my God. It's almost right next to us. It's almost a cliffhanger by itself. We don't even need any high drama to sell what's going to happen in the next few weeks. But that's the story for this week. And I will see everybody next week on the Nightfly, the Dave Juskow podcast, everybody. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Good night. Good night.